In the late 1970s, early to mid-1980s, a pitcher named Joaquin Andujar enjoyed a solid major league career. He won 127 career games pitching for Houston, St. Louis, and Oakland, was a four-time All-Star who was on the mound for two World Series Game 7s for the Cardinals. He started against Milwaukee and got the win in 82 and made a cameo relief appearance against Kansas City in 85. In that game against the Royals, the Cardinals were down 10-0 by the time Andujar took the hill. He gave up a single to Frank White, the first batter that he faced. Then, when a 2-2 pitch to Jim Sundberg was called a ball by home plate umpire Don Denkinger, St. Louis manager Whitey Herzog went bananas. He got himself tossed from that game, becoming the first manager ever ejected from the seventh game of a World Series. Andujar's next pitch was ball four. He was ejected for arguing that call. Andujar, of all people, should not have been surprised. Two years earlier, Sports Illustrated had run a feature on Andujar, a self-described tough Dominican, who, in the words of writer Steve Wolf, was a tough Dominican to get to know. In that story, Andujar shared with Wolf his favorite word in the English language. You never know. We've been playing baseball in the United States for 154 years, dating back to the next-to-last day of spring, 1846. There have been 145 seasons of Major League Baseball, during which 219,511 games have been played, according to Baseball Reference. After nearly a quarter million Major League games, spread over a century and a half, you can still go to the ballpark and see something no one has ever seen before. It's one of the things we love most about baseball. You never know. Take the 2019 Los Angeles Dodgers, for example. On July 2nd, the Dodgers were in a tough spot. Bottom of the ninth, down 4-3, two outs, down to their last strike. But Chris Taylor, on a 3-2 pitch, managed to draw a walk. Russell Martin came up to pinch hit, and he walked. So did Alex Verdugo. And Matt Beatty. By the time the 3-2 pitch from T.J. McFarland sailed up and in on Cody Bellinger, the Dodgers had done something never accomplished in the history of Major League Baseball. They had drawn five consecutive walks to end a game. A walk-off win if there ever was one. Dodgers fans should have been used to celebrating the unprecedented by that point. That improbable comeback over the Diamondbacks was L.A.'s fourth straight walk-off win at home. The longest streak in team history. The first three of those wins came on the Dodgers' previous homestand, which ended eight days earlier. All three of those games ended on a home run by a different rookie, the first time that occurred in Major League Baseball history. You go to a ball game, any ball game, anywhere, any level, any time. Anything can happen. Because in baseball, you never know. Welcome to the Out of Left Field Podcast, Season 1, Episode 3. Today, we revisit a game that was never supposed to be played between two college baseball teams that before this spring had never faced each other. One team, the Oneonta Dragons, is from upstate New York. Its campus located just 21 miles from the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. The other, the Rhodes Lynx, is from Memphis, Tennessee, just 10 miles from another institution of Americana, Graceland. Rhodes and Oneonta were both in central Florida to participate in the mother of all spring break baseball tournaments, the Russ Matt Invitational. Over the course of six weeks, 250 teams 
from all levels of college baseball roll into the rust mat and combine to play in about 1,100 games on a few dozen fields spread over seven locations. Rhodes and Oneonta were scheduled to play each other on Friday, March 13th, but that's not the game we're going to focus on. We're interested more in what happened the next day, Saturday, March 14th, when Rhodes and Oneonta would play again, even though their respective baseball seasons had already been canceled. Before their contingent of 47 players, coaches, and a trainer ever boarded the bus and hit the road for the 14-hour drive to Florida, Rhodes was already rolling. The Lynx had won 12 of their last 14 games, including a win over Webster, the number two team in Division Three at the time, and had taken two out of three in a series against Birmingham Southern, number three in the nation, when the Lynx hosted them in Memphis the weekend February melted into March. When they took the field for the first of four scheduled games at the Russ Matt Invitational, they were the 12th ranked team in the nation in the latest National Collegiate Baseball Writers Association poll, and only two D3 teams in the country had won more games than the Lynx. They won their first game at the Russ Matt 7-5 over Dubuque on Tuesday, March 10th. For the nine seniors on the roster, it was their 98th career win as a class. Each of the first 12 classes coach Jeff Cleanthus had recruited to Rhodes had won 100 games or more, and it looked like this group was certain to notch its milestone victory before their annual spring trip was wrapped and they were back on the bus to Memphis. But before they would get their shot at 99, the world changed. The Lynx had a scheduled off day on Wednesday. While they were preparing for a team dinner that night, back at home, Rhodes College President Marjorie Haas announced that the campus would be closing because of the mounting threat of the coronavirus, which later that night would force the National Basketball Association into spontaneous hiatus. Haas called it probably the most personally painful decision she ever had to make as a leader. Live classes would move online, students living on campus would have one week to pack up and leave the dorms, and all spring sports seasons as decreed that afternoon by the NCAA, would be canceled. That decision essentially ended the promising season for Coach Cleanthus's team that was getting better by the day. My president made the decision, you know, earlier than most people did. So she made it early on Wednesday. And we, we had a day off that day. So we had a team dinner planned for Wednesday night. So I was going to tell all the parents and the players at the same time, but I was like, you know, let's, let's make sure we eat first. Because after I tell us, nobody's going to want to eat. We just spent all this money on food, right? Rhodes would be allowed to finish its spring break trip. On Thursday, the Lynx went out and earned win number 99 for their seniors. That same day, the Oneonta Dragons were continuing their spring break at the Russ Mat. The Dragons spent the afternoon splitting a doubleheader against Anna Maria College at Sanford Stadium, a venerable ballpark built as a spring training facility for the New York Giants back in 1951, the same season a rookie named Willie Mays would make his Major League debut for the Giants. That Thursday afternoon, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced that all State University of New York schools also would transition to a distance learning format. SUNY Oneonta President Barbara Jean Morris extended her school's spring break by a week, which sounds like the kind of news that a bunch of college student-athletes would welcome. But there were other developments. And Brandon LaVenture, one of seven seniors on the Oneonta roster, couldn't bring himself to believe what was happening. 
I was sort of expecting it, but I was kind of like, oh, that's not going to happen to me. You know, that's not going to happen here. Um, Because I was going to eat with my friend after the game, and we left um, the stadium at which we just played. And about five minutes later, you know, coach says, you know, come back immediately to the stadium. And it was kind of then that, like, I'm like, okay, something is, you know, going to happen, obviously. You know, everyone, I think everyone kind of had a hunch it might be coming. Um, but when I talked when I talked to them, you know, we were right outside the, state, right outside the entrance of the stadium. Um, and I just kind of – I told them that the season was done, you know, because of the virus. And, you know, it was, it was emotional. It was emotional for me. It was emotional for, for all of them. Um, and, you know, you, you tell a, a group of guys that have, have bust their butts and they – They've done. They played ball their whole lives, and you tell them that, that it's over with, and they, you know, they they had their emotions and they broke down, and you know, all you know, everything that went with that, and after you know, after a few minutes, kind of let them process it. I brought the seniors together, and I told them that you know that you know we had the green light to finish our trip, and I asked them if they wanted to me to do everything. You know, if they, I asked them if they wanted to keep playing, and they all said yes. And I told them I'd do everything in my power to get them, get them both of those games. The first of those two games was Friday, the 13th, when Coach Ben Grimm's Dragons, who had just fallen out of the top 25, would take on Rhodes, a team rising up the rankings with a bullet. Emotionally, both teams were reeling, especially the 16 seniors who all of a sudden were facing the final weekend of their college careers, quite possibly the last games of their baseball lives. So the game that Friday, um, I was trying to hold back tears pretty much the entire game, even though it was like the second to last game. I was very surprised. Like, I wasn't expecting that. Tears were the only thing Brandon LaVenture held back. The Dragons' designated hitter went two for four, leading off the ninth inning with a solo home run that pulled Oneonta within one. For all he knew... That at-bat would turn out to be the last of a baseball journey that began in the farm division of his local Little League when he was eight years old. LaVenture had some pop even back then. He was part of an all-star team from the Rotterdam Little League that won the 2009 New York State 10U Championship. In one of the games in that tournament, LaVenture hit three home runs. He remembers a parent from the other team coming up to his coach after the game, wanting the 10-year-old to pee in a cup. A well-tread bit of dark humor from a time when every baseball player was under the suspicion of steroids, even the grade schoolers. This last homer, though, was no joke. Uh, I hadn't hit a home run in quite a long time, and I almost felt like um, the game, like I feel like I didn't hit the home run. It kind of just felt like the bat flew through the zone and the ball just, traveled for me like it was so easy and I kind of felt like you know that was the game given back um, because I know I've given a lot to the game and uh, you know I feel like something acted through me uh, to make that happen and that kind of just gave me a a life lesson you know if you put a lot into something you're gonna gonna go you're gonna get a lot out of it and uh you know, I can definitely say for those last two games, that's what baseball did for me. 
Rhodes won that Friday game 5-4, and its seniors celebrated their 100th career win together. But the real celebration was yet to come. Confession time. I am a total coffee snob. It goes back to my time as the senior writer for College Sports Magazine, which was one of my all-time favorite jobs, in no small part due to the fact that we had a woman in our office who took extraordinary pride and care in making coffee for everyone on the small staff of our monthly magazine. I wasn't a coffee drinker when I took that job, but I left as a full-blown coffee snob. What can I say? The bar was set high from the start. And that's why I love my Espressioni Concierge fully automatic espresso machine. Its thermoblock heating system means you go from beans to brewing in 22 seconds, which hardly gives you enough time to savor the anticipation of that perfect cup. And the adjustable steam nozzle for froth and foam is the best thing to happen to milk since the bottom of a breakfast cereal bowl, making it perfect for cappuccinos and macchiatos. It's automatic and programmable, which makes getting delicious coffee drinks as easy as it once was, walking into our old office and grabbing a cup made by someone who clearly missed her calling as a barista. You can order your Espressioni Concierge from my longtime friends at ElectraCraft. Visit them at electra-craft.com. That's electra, with a C, dash craft, with a C, dot com. Don't forget the dash, or you'll wind up on a boating website and then your coffee will suck. When you check out, enter Left Field 20, and you'll get 20% off your purchase. On Friday morning, March 13th, hours before Rhodes and Oneonta squared off in Lakeland, Florida, Keystone College pulled out of the Russ Matt Invitational. The Giants were not the first team to withdraw. All week long, teams were being summoned back to campus by their school administrations and teams that had been planning to come for the final week of the tournament were calling up and backing out. The final third of an impossibly complex six-week master schedule was unraveling. Keystone canceled its game against Rhode Island College on Friday and headed home. That meant they also would not be around to play either of the two games they had scheduled for Saturday, a 10 a.m. start against SUNY Oneonta, followed by a 1.30 game against Rhodes College. Meanwhile, those two teams jilted by Keystone were preparing to play each other on Friday, and the pregame mood was different than usual, more collegial. Players from the two sides were interacting. Rhodes coach Jeff Cleanthus found himself in an extended conversation with a couple of Oneonta players who had graduated from Somers High School in Westchester County, New York, Cleanthus's alma mater. Not only had he played there, Somers was his first coaching job after he left a career in accounting, a move Cleanthus decided to make after he was working in the World Trade Center in 1993 when terrorists detonated a truck bomb in a parking garage underneath the North Tower. A quick rapport had been struck between two programs whose paths had never crossed before. Global pandemics, it seems, make for strange bedfellows. Cleanthus and Oneonta coach Ben Grimm began hatching a plan together, not just to play each other again the next day, since their schedules were now clear, but to make that last game of their seasons something special, especially for their seniors. They called the tournament office, where Dan Miller from United Collegiate Umpires, which oversees the scheduling of all umpires for the Russ Matt Invitational, overheard the conversation from director Rob Sitz's side of things. I was in the office 
and I don't think it was very late on Friday where Rob accepted a call and I'm not sure from who I'm going to guess it was from either Ben or Jeff. And I heard him say something about having dual senior days the next morning at Shana Lakes. And I believe the request was, is there a PA announcer available or is the PA system accessible in order to really have what would traditionally be a senior day, a senior day. And as we both know, those are typically held in the middle of Mar- in the middle of May. Actually, for an impromptu plan, Saturday, March 14th, shaped up to look a lot like a traditional senior day with many of the familiar trappings. Parents, despite being given little warning, scrambled to find decorated cakes at local grocery stores and made poster board signs to honor their senior players. Chaina Lakes Park, once the spring training home of the Boston Red Sox and later the Cleveland Indians, served grandly as the stand-in home field for two teams and their families, who gathered on the sidelines to celebrate each other's seniors, all 16 of them. Ladies and gentlemen, please join the Rhodes Administration, the Athletics Department, the coaching staff, and the baseball team in congratulating these young men and thanking them for their hard work and contribution to the Rhodes Baseball Program and remind them that we will li- they will live in our hearts forever. Thank you. Now we'll recognize the seven seniors on the Simeone Alpha Baseball Program. I, I think what a lot of seniors across the country are missing right now is closure. And I think we were able to provide that for both sides. Let's hear it for number two, Stephen Ingrosier. At this time, umpires, I know we're a couple of minutes away, but we'll have the meeting with the coaches in just a moment. But we're going to take just a very brief moment, if you will. This, unfortunately, is going to be the last game here at the Old Park, as we've chronicled the events in the world dictate such action. It could have been a sad day. The seniors could have sulked their way to the premature end of a season that had been stolen from them. Across the country, it was just starting to dawn on people the culminating experiences that would be lost by students this spring, in college and high school in particular. Proms canceled, graduations postponed, final shows and concerts unperformed, games not played. It would have been so easy to let disappointment darken the day. But it was 82 degrees and sunny as the afternoon unfolded, the first day of the young season to offer real suggestions of summer. It was a perfect day for a baseball game. Soon, that game would become unforgettable. Since we're still getting acquainted, here's something you should probably know about me. I am an enthusiastic advocate of things that I love. I love being the guy who recommends a great restaurant to a friend, or a movie, or a book, or a new podcast. I'll never go to bat for something unless I feel strongly in favor of it, which is why you'll never hear me promoting traffic, or tomatoes, or wearing long pants. So when I encourage you to check out Everripe plant-based superfood smoothies, you can trust that it's because I love them myself. Even before we were all stockpiling for an extended stay-at-home spring, my family was loading up on Everripe. 
There are a ton of reasons I could roll through for you. They're delicious, they're incredibly easy to make, they're shelf-stable, and all five flavors are dairy-free, gluten-free, preservative-free, even shipping-free in the continental U.S. But that's not the selling point for me. See, I have two teenagers who, on school days, both actual and virtual, have breakfast at the same time. And when you have teenage siblings who can agree on what they want for breakfast, you give it to them. And if it takes 90 seconds from start to finish to prepare it for them, you feel a gratitude that is as pure and natural as the freeze-dried ingredients that brought harmony to breakfast time. If you live in the Northeast or the Pacific Northwest, you can find Everripe smoothies in your local Walmart. If not, you can order them through Amazon or on their website, everripe.com, where you can also check out their blog, which shares all kinds of great ideas for physical and mental wellness. If you order from everripe.com, that's E-V-E-R-I-P-E.com, you can enter the code LEFTFIELD20 and get a 15% discount on your purchase. Ever since it became clear that their season would end with their last game at the Russ Matt Invitational, the seniors from Rhodes College had been lobbying their coach to let them play positions other than their usual ones. They begged him like second and third graders do. Coach, can I play second base? Can I catch? Am I going to pitch today, coach? He held them off as long as he could, saying that as soon as they got their 100th win, he would think about it. They took care of business on Friday, so in the final few minutes before his team would play its last game of the 2020 college baseball season, Jeff Cleanthus found himself putting the finishing touches on the craziest lineup card he'd ever filled out. When I put the schedule together, lineup together, I'm like, okay, there's, there's really just no way we're going to win this game. So I just need to get over it. And, and I, I'm so competitive, man. I'm ultra competitive. And just, it was hard, but I wrote it down. I did it. And, and, and our guys, it was crazy. I put uh, our, our relief pitcher in left field. I put another guy that didn't play from us all, for his whole four years in right field. And then I was like, okay, now I got a lefty uh, relief pitcher, Alex. I was like, okay, he he said he wants to play second. Let's we'll put him at second base. So I got a left-handed pitcher playing second base, and uh, we got another pitcher playing third base. So you know, we get the game started that way. In the eyes of his players, Cleanthus is a baseball purist, and it didn't take long for the baseball gods to force him to reconsider his lineup. Carter King was the relief pitcher he mentioned starting at third base. King had come to Rhodes from Mount Airy, Georgia as a two-time first-team All-State prospect who had hoped to play shortstop and pitch in college. This last day was his first getting to start in the infield. It was funny. The first out of the game was a mile-high pop-up to the infield, and it's just right on top of me. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, give me like a five-hopper that I can that I could get easily. But, um, you know, I almost overran it. It was definitely like the um, – Got the scariest play of the game. I was like, holy cow, if I drop this, like, coach might pull me immediately just out of, uh, just out of uh, principle. Cleanthus might very well have been tempted to pull King right then, but he left him out there. Three batters later, Brandon LaVenture, who had homered against Rhodes on Friday, came to the plate for Oneonta, a left-handed hitter who hadn't failed to notice Alex Garrett, the left-handed relief pitcher who, in this final game of his senior season, was the starting second baseman. Yeah, that was fun. I actually hit it right to him. I hit a very, very hard uh, ground ball, and I don't think he was expecting it too much, and it 
like he had like this awkward hand turn towards it and I, I just thought it was pretty funny. This lefty comes up and I haven't seen a ground ball off a bat in years. And so I'm just hoping, you know, I'm kind of nervous if the ball's coming right at me, thinking that before the, before the play. And so this lefty just hits one that's a rocket right at me. And it's about one hopper, two hopper. And I just don't know what to do. And it looks – and I and I just whiffed at it. And it looks so bad. Um, <laughs> and I actually felt bad for the pitcher. I was like, geez, because a real second baseman probably makes that play. And a run scored, and I just felt so bad. Situations like that happened all game long. Guys doing things on a baseball field that they hadn't been given a chance to do since they were in high school, and they were having an absolute blast. Alex Garrett, for instance, that lefty second baseman, got to hit in a game for the first time since his junior year of high school. First pitch, I saw a fastball, and I just took a, I just took a hack at it. Somehow caught a little barrel, hit a ground ball through the four hole, got a single on the first pitch that I'd seen in probably six years. That was, uh, that was pretty fun. On the first pitch he saw in his college career, he singled. On the next pitch, he stole second. Another first. Carter King, the reliever starting at third, hadn't been away from the batter's box quite so long as Garrett. He logged a couple of JV at-bats and a couple of pinch hit opportunities over the years. He struggled in his first at-bat against Oneonta starter David DeBardinas, striking out on a 2-2 slider then grounded out to second in the fourth. But when he came to the plate in the fifth... First and second, a little... Uh, kind of stroked one into left center, uh, took it the other way. And the dude almost made like a full-out diving catch for it. And it was just... I mean, I'm glad he didn't because that would have been... It would have been, been a good laugh, but I was like... It was, it was cool just to have some RBIs in the scoreboard, score box, box score. And then um, my last at bat, I... I hit this kind of like weird grounder and I beat it out at first base. It was kind of just not the one you want to end on, but also just kind of cool just to be able to, you know, hustle down the line as fast as you can, beat out a play, make you feel, make you feel a little alive again. Trey Sledge, Rhodes' number two starter and the winning pitcher against Oneonta on Friday, was in the lineup as the Lynx designated hitter, this despite having one lone at bat on his college resume. Still, he couldn't believe he was hitting in the lineup behind Carter King, and he let his teammate hear all about it. King teased him back, saying that Sledge would never get a hit off him if he were pitching. And then, of course, after King grounded out in the fourth inning, Sledge hit a home run to left field. I mean, he absolutely massacred that ball. Like, literally no doubter. Like, not a, not a pipsqueaker at all. And he just, you just turn around and you see him just go straight arms up, like, some sort of Kirk Gibson moment. I mean, it's just surreal. Like, the kid had no business hitting a bomb off a pretty good pitcher, but then he goes and does it and just kind of just exemplifies how special the day was for us. When the day began, all anyone could think about was the end of these baseball careers. But as the game unfolded, all anyone focused on was the pure joy of playing the game. It's kind of one of those things that's kind of restored your faith in the game, I think, more than anything, because no one really cared what the score was or anything like that. It was just, let's just go out and play and enjoy this and, you know, kind of put some things in perspective, I guess, more than anything. I think we did the best that we could for the guys and for the players, 
you know, because at the end of the day, that's, that's what it's about, you know, as you, you know, you're coaching, it's not about, you know, it's not about me or my record or anything like that, it's about these guys, and trying to send them out, you know, the best that you can, and provide them with a good experience, and, and those memories, and hopefully they, you know, they have those. One of those memorable moments for Coach Ben Grimm came in the bottom of the fifth inning, when LaVenture came to the plate for what would be the next-to-last time in his college career. Our, uh, our senior left fielder, who, who's a left-handed bat, you know, he went up there, he had worked all offseason on switch hitting, and he hadn't pulled it out yet. And They had a left-hander on the mound, and he comes up to me before he goes up to hit, and it was late in the game, and he's like, Coach, I'm going up there right-handed. And I was like... Do it. Like he worked at it. He might as well give it a shot. And he goes up and laces a single up the middle on the second or third pitch to the bat. I just went up there and everybody in my dugout was like, Whoa, like LaVenture, like I see you. I see you up there. I see what you're doing. And uh, I ended up getting a hit righty, and I've never hit righty before in my life. LaVenture turned around to get his last college base hit off Paul Giacomazzi, a left handed senior who took the mound to start the fifth. For Rhodes. Giacomazzi was one of the few Rhodes players to start the game at his natural position. Keeping his two-time Gold Glove Award winner in center field was one of the few comforts Cleanthus found in his once-in-a-lifetime lineup. So I, uh, I would always talk to our pitching coach um, just throughout the season, uh, just tell him, hey, can I, uh, can I throw some innings? And this was like during when we had scrimmages with each other during the fall or if we didn't have enough guys before practice to throw, I'd always just throw my name out there to see, hey, can I throw a few innings? And I'd always get denied. And that, as soon as we won um, the day before, I went up to coach and I asked him, hey, so I can, I'm going to pitch, right? And he was like, well, we'll see what we can do, um, hopefully. So Giacomazzi, who came in as a left-handed pitcher and a center fielder for us as a freshman, would have probably done both, but like I said, he was literally the best center fielder ever, so I could never take him out of So he, he never pitched. Well, he wanted his one inning to pitch, okay? So I, I, I was, I'm going to give him that. And then our, our left fielder, who's our relief pitcher, wanted to catch Giacomani, and he, he's not a catcher at all. So I'm trying to figure out how do I get him to catch the inning that Giacomani is going to pitch so I can kind of rotate things. In a game truly without consequence. Cleanthus resorted to some complicated managerial gymnastics in the fifth to get his center fielder his inning on the mound. Giacomazzi went from center field to pitch. Alex Garrett, the lefty reliever, went from second out to left field, so that Nate Morochnik, normally a relief pitcher, could move from left field to catch. Morochnik had never played the position before. Still, when Oneonta batters came to the plate, he begged them that if they were to get on base, they should try to steal. He wanted the chance to see if he could throw someone out. Here's Paul Giacomazzi. So many moments during that game that I'll just cherish. Um, whether it was Alex Garrett, you know, missing a, missing a ground ball in like the first inning or uh, Seth Rowling making a, a incredible diving play in right field. It was kind of just those moments that were just um, that just kind of made the day a lot happier, even though it was so sad. I don't know, kind of those moments just. Uh, kind of just uplifted us and just made, I don't know, kind of made everything easier. The enjoyment shared by both teams was never more evident than with two outs in the ninth inning when Oneonta's starting pitcher, David DeBardinas, finally came out of the game for the last time in his career and was showered by applause from both benches and everyone in the stands. 
Debar had closed out Friday's game for the Dragons, striking out the two batters he faced. And when he'd been given the ball for Saturday's start, Debar had no intention of leaving the game. It was it was so cool to watch him do that. Uh, I was talking with one of their, I, I think it was their second baseman of their shortstop, and he they were telling they were telling me that he told the coach that he wants to go until he can't feel his arm anymore, and I think that that was his last game, and he wanted to just give everything he had and just have so much respect for him, and that was really cool to see. Like our guy David, I even spoke to his dad, you know, before the game, and I was like, hey, like. I'm going to let him ride. Like, pitch counts are out the window right now. Are you okay with that? Because, you know, usually we don't do a lot of, you know, usually we try to be responsible and, and look at pitch counts and things like that. And he's like, oh, yeah, let him go. Like, who cares? Let him go. This is it. I was like, all right, cool. As long as, as, long as you understand, too. Leaving the field for the last time is a moment most players never forget. And it's something both coaches made sure every senior had a chance to experience. Nate Marochnik, for example, was removed mid-inning from behind the plate. Alex Garrett had come in to pitch the sixth after his inning in left field. After the first out, time was called, and Coach Kleanthus pulled Marochnik. The newly christened senior catcher handed his mitt and his mask to his replacement, then walked out to the mound to hug Garrett before heading to the Rhodes dugout along the first baseline. Garrett pitched a clean sixth, but started the seventh at third base, another new experience for the senior. After one pitch, Garrett was summoned to the dugout. Carter King was on the mound at that point. After pitching the seventh, his arm was shot. His first pitch of the eighth hit Steve Geringer, the ace of Oneonta's pitching staff, who had started Friday's game and was inserted into Saturday's game as a pinch hitter. The Dragon senior had gone 0 for 8 at the plate in his college career, reaching base only once, on a walk during his sophomore season. The only pitch he saw as a senior plunked him in the knee. King came out after that pitch. Cleanthus didn't come out to get him, though. Instead, he sent an emissary, Trey Sledge, the teammate who thought he should have been hitting ahead of King in the Rhodes lineup. Brandon LaVenture was in left field for Oneonta when his turn came, with two outs in the top of the ninth inning. He'd been watching his teammates leave the field one by one, as he waited for the inevitable. I was seeing everybody else get taken out, and I was congratulating them, you know, going up and hugging them. And, you know, I started thinking to myself, well, you know, my time is coming soon. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of waiting. I was looking in the dugout, and, uh, you know, I saw the other left fielder, Kevin Walters, getting ready to come out. And I was like, you know, it's probably this, this is probably going to be my last um, batter in the field and uh yeah and then he started running out and it was just kind of like this cascade of emotion was just set off in my body and I just you know I can't explain the uh the feeling it was uh it was a pretty powerful moment every senior from both sides got that moment to like come off the field for the last time and have everybody stand and clap for him and, you know, get embraced by, you know, by both teams. And, you know, it was one of those things that it's just, yeah, I mean, it was, I guess the best way to describe it is it was as pure as, as pure as college baseball can be. Paul Giacomazzi was the last player on either side to be removed from the game. The best center fielder in Division Three baseball was back home in center field by the time his turn came with one out in the bottom of the ninth. 
The fence in straightaway center field at Chena Lakes is 425 feet from home plate. No ballpark in the major leagues is deeper to dead center, giving Giacomazzi the longest walk of honor of anyone. It took, uh, it took quite a while to get all the way in, um, saying, saying thanks and giving everyone hugs. But um, it was just cool seeing, you know, the whole stands, like just standing up and clapping and um, just hugging my coach, just talking with him. And then, you know, just hugging all my seniors that I've been with since day one. Uh, it's just like one of those last pictures that you wish you can like take and frame um, somewhere in your house. It was kind of one of those moments. The game ended two batters later. The final score, Rhodes 11, Oneonta 5. It was the 101st win for the Lynx seniors. All week long, players in the Russ Matt Invitational had been discouraged from actually shaking hands in the traditional post-game handshake line. After Friday's game, the players from Rhodes and Oneonta went through the line with several feet of safe separation between them, offering air bumps with their closed fists rather than risk the real thing. After Saturday's game, air bumps just wasn't going to cut it. The ball players went through the line shaking hands, stopping to hug each other, social distancing be damned. They gathered at home plate for a combined team photo, but instead of counting to three and saying cheese, they opted for something a little more apropos for the moment, a different C word that had made this ball game possible. <laughs> You know, I definitely have to say for myself, for me, uh, that was definitely, and I'm not, you know, joking around here. Those are probably the two most special games uh, for me in my career, honestly. I feel like our parents, you know, they have those go-to stories. They'll tell at parties or go-to ones that they'll bring up to you when you mention something that uh, reminds them. And I mean, I mean, it's going to be hard not to kind of brag about this game for a long time I've had some great memories over the years you know we won two conference championships and as a reliever I've been in the game late closed out some games had uh you know just great memories finishing games strong but I think that game will just stick out like no other game and that and the hit that I got will just like that'll top some of the other memories that I have like most of the other memories that I have and you know, I'm, I'm thankful that our coach gave us all the opportunity for that to happen. And, uh, and same for the other team. It's, it's incredible how much that game taught my players, myself, about how important sportsmanship is and, and just the love of the game, you know. It, it, it's it's going to last forever for me. No one really wanted to leave. Everyone just wanted to keep playing. Um, and, yeah, it just, I don't know, just spoke so much to just, how much our how much our guys just love the game and love each other, and I think that's that's one of the reasons why it was so fun and uh, just why none of us wanted that season to end. After the game ended, the teams boarded their buses for the long ride back to their respective campuses to empty their baseball lockers, pack up their dorm rooms and apartments, and go home to finish their semesters online. Many of them from devices in their childhood bedrooms. The dream of playing college baseball was over, interrupted just before it was supposed to end. Until the NCAA intervened. Again. Before the end of March, the NCAA voted to give all players on all spring sports teams an extra year of eligibility. 
for many of the 16 seniors on the Rhodes and Oneonta rosters, that sunny senior day Saturday on the last day of the Russ Matt Invitational would not be the end of the road after all. So far, five Rhodes players have announced that they plan to return for next season, with hopes of finishing the mission they were pursuing this spring. None of the Oneonta players are expected to be back. For those who do come back, perhaps they will have the chance to see each other again. The two coaches have kept in contact after that game, and they've been trying to arrange a way onto each other's schedules, this time with more than one day's warning. Who knows? Maybe they'll meet again at Chain of Lakes at the Russ Matt Tournament in 2021. It's where they first met, where they shared that special one-of-a-kind day of unprecedented baseball experiences, and where, as far as anyone knew at the time, 16 college baseball players got what they thought were their last licks. This episode of the Out of Left Field podcast was researched, written, edited, and hosted by me, David Siegerman. But like everything in the world of sports, it's been a total team effort. I want to thank Jessica Berenblatt from JB Art House for the cover art, Rachel Blechman for designing our website, outoflf.com. The opening theme, Hot Shot, is by Scott Holmes Music. The closing theme, as always, is by my brother-in-law, George Hochbrockner, off his album, Celtic Afroacoustic Electric. The other music in this episode comes from the original stylings of Eliana May, whose debut album is scheduled for release soon. We'll be sure to let you know where to find it when it's out. I want to thank the coaches and players from the baseball programs at Rhodes College and SUNY Oneonta for taking the time to share their stories with me over Zoom. Big thanks also to Dan Miller, who shared with me the footage he shot that day at Russmat. Dan has some big storytelling ideas of his own in the works, and I look forward to keeping you posted as things progress for him. Lastly, I want to thank my old friend Kathy, Alex Garrett's mom, who I met during our time at the Jackson Sun newspaper a million years ago. Kathy looked exactly the same as always in the senior day video I saw of her, chaperoning her son onto the field with her husband, Charlie. And yes, Kathy, after seven weeks of sheltering in place, my hair is as long now as it was when we first met. Kathy flagged this story for me, knowing it's exactly the kind of sports story I love to tell. I'm always open to great ideas. So if you know of any stories from out of left field that deserve to be told, visit our website, outoflf.com, and drop me a line through our contact page. We'll be back in a week with our next episode from out of left field. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay home.